0: I'd like to invite your attention to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'm very thankful to be able to share with you the Word of God. And I'd like for us to concentrate on verses 1 and 14 as we consider the incarnation of Christ. So let me begin by reading the two verses. First of all, John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then we skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John here in his introduction or the prologue, he introduces for us major themes that he will flesh out in the following verses and chapters. Themes such as Christ's pre-existence, the fact that Christ is life, light, how we are called upon to respond to Christ by believing in the revelation that has been given to us through the Son of God. But I want us to particularly pay attention to the two verses I I read, verses 1 and 14. As we consider during this season the fact that, that Christ our Savior came to earth, became incarnate, that He might live and die for us, that we might be saved. So in John chapter 1, verse 1, we have revealed to us that the Word is God. Here, John is referring to Jesus Christ as the Word. Why is Jesus called the Word? Well, he's given this title because Christ, as the living Word, will reveal to us the very nature and essence of God. Words communicate for us thoughts. We use words to express thoughts. Our words are means of communication. And the point that is being driven home here is that Jesus Christ, the Word, He communicates to us who God is. He reveals for us who God is. Our words clothe our thoughts and our feelings and reveal them to others. Well, the Word is God's self disclosure. It's God's self revelation of Himself. And here in verse 1, in this opening verse in the prologue, we find three relationships that the Word bears with God. First of all, in the beginning was the Word. This speaks of Jesus' pre existence, His eternality. Jesus Christ is uncaused. He is uncreated. He was already in existence when the world came into being. And this reminds us, it should remind us of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, where we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ is eternal because he is God. So in the very beginning, when God created the universe, when time began, Jesus Christ already existed. Jesus Christ is not a creation. He's not a being that was formed or made. Jesus Christ is eternal. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, the Word was. When there were no depths, when there were no springs abounding with water, the Word existed. This is very important. Many false religions, many cults teach that Jesus Christ was a creation of God. Here we find, however, in the very introduction of this gospel, John is setting forth the person of Christ, that Jesus Christ is eternal, that in the beginning was the Word. Secondly, and the Word was with God. He was with God. That pronoun or preposition with, it it speaks of being face to face. Here we discover that the Word was in a relationship of eternal, intrinsic, interpersonal intimacy. Sometimes people express that God created the world because he was lonely. Well, that's, that's a false idea. God was never lonely. God was never alone because God is the triune God. He is Trinity. And here we discover that the word The Son of God, Jesus, and His Heavenly Father, they were face to face. We find in other parts of the Gospel of John where they shared glory with one another. The Father looked upon His Son with love and communicated glory to Him, and the Son communicated love and glory back to the Father. Think about in the baptism of Jesus. Do you remember what the Father said? He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The fact is, the father has always been pleased with his son. For all eternity, the father has looked upon his son with delight and said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. The word was with God. This speaks of the eternal happiness that God has in himself. God is self-sufficient. He does not have to look outside of himself to find happiness or delight. He finds delight in his triune nature. We might ask the question, what was there in us that would merit esteem or give our creator delight? Because we are finite. And on top of that, we are sinful. Yet God was eternally satisfied in himself the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Word was with God. Then notice the the third clause that is used here. And the Word was God. And the Word was God. So the Word was personally distinct from God the Father, but at the same time, He is one with God the Father. So with the advent of Christ, as we... Think of the incarnation of Christ. The doctrine of the Trinity has become apparent for us. It's become clear. The church has been able to formulate and articulate the doctrine that God is of one nature, eternally existing as three equal persons with the advent of Christ. The advent of Christ reveals that within the Godhead, there is Tri trinity, there is Three persons. Here we find that Jesus Christ, the Word, He was God. Now here John is not declaring that the Word was God the Father. Here he's helping us to understand that that the Word is is divine, that He's co-equal with His heavenly Father. He is divine. God is one in essence, and yet He exists eternally as three distinct persons in the Incarnation helps us to recognize this reality. So the Greek rules of grammar here in John 1, 1, the context, and the whole of Scripture demands that the Word, the Son of God Jesus, is God. He's not God-like, he's not a demigod, but he is verily God. John begins the gospel by revealing who Christ is, the living eternal Word the Son of God. He is divine. And of course, John will close out his gospel by once again declaring that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And then throughout the gospel of John, for instance, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one, not simply one in our will, not simply one in what we have determined to do. That's true. But Jesus Christ is speaking of how they are one in essence, how they are one in nature, one in being. How about the words of of Thomas in John chapter 20? When the resurrected Lord appeared unto him, he exclaimed, my Lord and my God. So in the very beginning of the gospel, we discover through these three clauses something very important about the the person of Jesus, as well as his relationship with his Father. Now let's skip down to verse 14. very important verse that helps us to understand the incarnation. John 1.14, and the word, this is the eternal word, the eternal word that is God became flesh. That's what we mean by incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh. The incarnation, the word incarnation simply means the act of being made flesh. And I agree with you. It's a it's a, it's a wonderful mystery, the incarnation, the act of being made flesh. How the Word became flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 God was manifest in the flesh. Speaking of of the Son of God, Jesus, the living Word. He was manifest in the flesh. This this speaks of the fact that He became um, or or His uh, divine nature had a human nature joined to Him. Flesh speaks of, of real humanity. Jesus had a human body, and a human soul. Again, in Colossians 2, verse 9, listen. For in him, speaking of Jesus, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So what you need to understand is that Jesus retained or he kept his divine nature and he joined to it or he took upon himself a human nature. He always had a divine nature. He continued, even in the incarnation, to have a a divine nature. But he began to have a human nature. And that was through the, the miraculous virgin conception. Through the virgin conception and birth, there is an inseparable union of a full humanity, a full human nature, and a full divine nature In one person. Let's define the the person of Christ. Jesus is one person with two natures. He's not one person with one nature. He is one person, the Son of God, with two natures. Divinity and humanity. So now, because of the incarnation, Jesus has a human body and a human soul. And as we read through the Gospels, we find where Jesus became hungry, thirsty, weary. He experienced emotions such as joy and grief and anger. Think about this wonderful mystery. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we read, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's incredible, isn't it? Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. He grew in his wisdom. He grew in stature, height. And he also grew in favor with God and man. Physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, Jesus increased. The invisible, the, the person of God in Christ, the invisible was seen with eyes. The non-spatial, the God that is everywhere present, was limited by space. The untouchable was touched with human hands. The self-existent creator was made flesh. The all-powerful was weak. The self-sufficient was hungry. The all-wise increased in wisdom. The omnipotent grew weary and slept. The immortal died. The immutable grew. The eternal was sent forth in time. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. The word was made flesh. John continues that the word who became flesh, he dwelt among us. That word dwelt means to tabernacle. And I believe John is pointing us back to the Old Testament book of Exodus when God tabernacled among his people. Alluding to Exodus 25 and verse 8, God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That tent-like structure where, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed and God would dwell with his people between the cherubims. He dwelled among the camp of Israel. Again in Exodus forty thirty-four, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now John is teaching us that that Jesus is the fulfillment of which that tabernacle pointed toward. Jesus, the Word, dwelt among us. Listen, and we saw His glory. In the book of Exodus, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In the incarnation, the glory of God fills flesh and blood the incarnation of Christ. And His glory is made known. We saw His glory. The glory of God is God's self-disclosure, His self-revelation. It's the full and final revelation of God. Glory speaks of the excellence and the greatness of God's essence and character. And John says, we... We saw his glory, the glory of the, of the majestic nature and excellence of who God is. How was that glory revealed through Christ? It was because Jesus revealed the glory of God by grace and truth. Grace and truth. As they viewed Jesus living, they saw nothing but grace and truth being made known. The truth of who God is and the grace of God's loving character reaching out to those in such need to lift them up out of their spiritual poverty and to give them eternal life. This grace that Jesus reveals, this grace that the Word reveals in the flesh, John writes, we received it. Listen to verse 16. For of His fullness we have received, and grace upon grace. He just keeps lavishing grace upon grace to those that come to Him in faith. The fullness of grace in Christ, listen friends, it's never exhausted, it's it's never emptied. And we can see this most clearly when we think about this glory and this grace that's made known through the incarnation of the Word. We can think about this in three very important ways today. First of all, because Christ became incarnate, we see Him as the great substitutionary sacrifice. Why did Christ become incarnate? Why did the Word become flesh? In order to offer Himself as a sacrifice to God. Paul would write in Romans 8 verse 3 for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Humanity had sinned. Humanity had come under the curse and wrath of God. So in order to rescue us from the wrath of God Jesus would become flesh and suffer the wrath of God in our place. See, we can't consider Christmas without considering the cross. The incarnation was the great means toward the end of saving sinners. By the word being made flesh and suffering under God's wrath as a curse on the cross. That our sins might be forgiven. That our sins might be covered by the precious blood of Christ. And we know that the Father accepted that sacrifice because after three days of death, Jesus was raised from the dead. All made possible by the Word becoming flesh. Not only is the Word, Jesus, the substitutionary sacrifice, He's also the sympathizing high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4, we find that we have a throne of grace that we can approach. And upon that throne, there is a great high priest that is sitting and he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he too was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That's made possible because the word became flesh. Now the, the call, the response to that great reality is let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of, of need. We have grace today. Grace for forgiveness, grace for strength, grace for help. Grace to be holy, grace to obey, grace to live, grace to die. And this grace is ever for us because through Christ we receive grace upon grace. The grace that was used yesterday is replenished today and will be available again tomorrow. And then, third, because of the Word becoming flesh, He's the supreme example of humility. And we find that in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus, being the very essence of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself a servant, became obedient unto death, that we might be delivered. He served us in order for us to be saved. And Paul's point in Philippians 2 is, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ, his humility. So we recognize that the example of Christ is not the foundation of our salvation that is the death and resurrection of Christ. But there is a very important part that the example of Christ plays in our sanctification. Not that we are God and become flesh, but we are to kill our pride and we are to be humble like our Savior. The Word was God, the Word was made flesh. Oh, friends, this is amazing and astounding grace, superabounding grace. Plenteous grace with the Lord is found. Grace to cover all of our sin. Because of the incarnation, grace is like waves crashing on the beach. Never ending, continuous, unbroken grace that is generous and super abundant. So as you consider Christmas, recognize the beauty of of Christ's incarnation, that the Word was God and the Word was made flesh, that you and I, by placing our faith in Christ, might receive grace for grace. May God bless you to think prayerfully and joyfully about the beauty of the gospel, about the reality of the incarnation of Christ.